Welcome back, folks, to episode 39 of the Running Man Self-Regulation Skills and Self-Improvement Project podcast with me, your host, Dr. Armando Dominguez, Ph.D. in Health Psychology, Licensed Professional Counselor, and an Adjunct Professor at a local community college. Now, what we're going to be discussing today is self-control and also self-knowledge. Now, how does this relate to self-regulatory skills and the development of those? Well, it's very closely tied to those things in particular. And what we're going to start with is a small passage that comes from Sun Tzu's Art of War that uh, has lots of carryover because in a life, a human life, a regular civilian life, it doesn't have to be that of a soldier, of a warrior in combat, we run into conflict. And when we have conflict, that is a battle, a very personal battle of sorts. Sometimes it can be a very intrapersonal battle going on inside of me versus interpersonal between a diet or group of people outside of myself. And uh, this is something that can give us some insight, some grist for our mill, so to speak, that we can grind and work and actually make into something useful. And it's not hard to fathom, but it makes a great deal of sense. And it's something that I, uh, having trained in martial arts for years, have had to learn to use and apply whenever under duress. And also in regular interpersonal situations, and even whenever it is me on my meditation cushion, intrapersonally working with those things that may seem at odds or what we would call a conflict, and uh, being able to work those things out before things get out of hand to where it's no longer a matter of self-control, but rather one of trying to rein in whatever behaviors we may be having if we get out of control or impulsive for that matter. So let me start with this quick reading of this passage. And once again, this is from Sun Tzu's Art of War. Actually, the the translation that I'm looking at is from uh, Samuel B. Griffin. It's one of the classics, but very simplistic. And uh, we'll discuss this after the fact. So it reads this way. It is in these five matters that the way to victory is known. Therefore, I say, know the enemy and know yourself. In a hundred battles, you will never be in peril. When you are ignorant of the enemy, but know yourself, your chances of winning or losing are equal. If ignorant both of your enemy and of yourself, you are certain in every battle to be in peril. Now that speaks very loudly of the fact that uh, knowing oneself isn't just merely knowing your name and what your preferences are, even though those are small elements within that in our existence and what we would call our ego and self-image in which we use our self-image and our sense of self to interact with others and how we like to identify or maybe even be recognized by people that we socialize with. But this speaks to the underlying deeper sense of what it is that is me, that is my fundamental sense of response, or for that matter, reaction, if it's stressful enough, that would fundamentally be recognized as part of my personality, my character, and whatever my proclivities and behaviors that could be considered life patterns, so to speak. And uh, many people tend to lean on the fact that patterns don't lie. And I would say that's not particularly true. And uh, I will tell you that uh, if somebody is intent on acting a certain way, it doesn't mean that they're authentic or sincere. It may be camouflage. 
And that's something that Sun Tzu talks about, as does Miyamoto Musashi in his Book of Five Rings, about seeing through the veneer of social interaction. So what does this have to do with self-control and self-regulation? And, and I'll tell you, it has a lot to do with it, because often, whenever we're dealing with a stressful environment, or maybe a stressful interaction, maybe a disagreement, or maybe something that digresses into an argument, or something that could become a physical fight, uh, we have two things that are happening. And the very first thing is that we have words, and then there is probably a physical distance. If you have a cell phone or a phone or, or calling across the way and there is space, wherever you're beyond two arms reach plus six inches, then chances are you are physically safe regardless of how noisy it is. But we have to recognize that there is a communication going on, verbiage in most cases, beyond the body language. And the body language is kind of neutralized when we're discussing phone communications, not necessarily on Skype or, or even on camera of some sort, but rather it's something that seems almost distant or surreal, almost close to reality, but not quite. So therefore, it doesn't carry as much weight as far as our feeling threatened if somebody's yelling at you that I'm going to do something to you threateningly on the internet or on the phone versus someone actually doing it in person. But uh, the language is what's going on. It's the verbiage. It's the speak. It's our word communications. You've heard the term that the war of words is what is being considered the big thing right now in our politics recently and also what is considered the precursor before diplomacy fails and then we move in with physical attributes that may be not necessarily in the war sense armies but rather our hands or our feet start doing things whether they be constructive destructive or otherwise but usually it's the words that we have the second part that is on and off is the body language in many cases and that plays very closely to the emotional intensity but the one was the words the two is what we would call our sense of self-control our sense of self-regulation, and our sense of self-modulation. How do I manage uh, my stress or what I'm perceiving as stressful or dangerous uh, is causing me stress? How am I reacting to it if it is a reaction that I'm no longer mindful of, getting closer to second nature reactivity or even reflex when we have something like disgust or impulse that says, get away from here because I'm not going to stick around long enough to make sense of it. But those are the two big things. One is the words that we ex that we exchange or that we hear. And second is going to be the reactivity. What's my body doing? How am I responding to this? If it's a mindful thing, how am I reacting to it? If it's so fast that I don't have time to be mindful of. So in the exchange, am I knowing myself and can I control myself? Well, those are good questions. And the self-control, the self-regulation is what we're focusing on. If you know yourself and how you respond to, let's say, a stressful environment, you know not to be in those and maybe do your best to avoid them if you ever had a brush with discomfort or injury or illness, that sort of thing that, that resulted from proximity or being close to something, and therefore you got sick, hurt, or otherwise. And uh, often when we talk with people that have had traumatic events, they tend to be very averse to certain things, certain sounds, and... Uh, we have these things that we will call, in quotes, triggers, which I'm not going to use that term much today, that may bring back that reverie, that recall, that brings upon us 
the elevated sense of arousal, reactivity, maybe irritability, maybe even anger for that matter, for some anxiety and stress and even thoughts of not wanting to be here, wanting to die. So it can get pretty heavy really fast. So knowledge of oneself, do I know how I respond to certain things? Many of us know that. And that's only a half of what we would call having situational and environmental knowledge. Uh, Sun Tzu's uh, writing said, knowing one's self and knowing one's enemy. The environment's not always enemy. But if we understand that, it can become a very uncomfortable thing or it could become dangerous or even violent suddenly. And this doesn't necessarily have to be a human. It could be an animal if you're out camping. It could be other people. If you're out in the park and a mob start gathering and they start getting kind of antsy and angry, that could be something that we would call the degrading situation where your assumption of safety is not met and knowledge of self. One is, let's say I have limitations that I can't run very fast. I'm seeing that happening. Would I keep walking forward towards that? I would hope not. I would think not. And I would certainly encourage you strategically, don't do that. And I would walk the other direction while you still have at least time to make distance from wherever the fracas may be occurring or the potential fracas. And the second part of that self-knowledge is knowing, can I get away? Can I do something in the sense of, can I hide? Can I run? And if I were caught, can I protect myself? Those are very important questions that has to do a lot with self-regulation and self-control because whenever we feel the most unsafe, Whenever our environment becomes very unsafe, potentially so, and our thoughts of predictably thinking that I can, or our prediction of, more correctly, of whether or not I can accommodate the change in my environment, can I protect myself against it, can I get away from it, has much to do with, do we have anxiety, do we have fear, stress, do I have anger, or do I freeze? Whenever I'm in such an environment, self-knowledge has a lot to do with how I'm going to respond, especially if I have an experience prior to that was negative, painful, or frightening. Now, the second half is knowing one's enemy. Knowing one's enemy, if we were to change that term to environment, because once again, it's not always an enemy situation or one that's uh, against you, but sometimes it could become dangerous. If we have a group of people and they become dangerous, and you're in that environment, you might get accepted into the group, you might get walked by as a non-target, but you could very easily become a target, not meaning to, and by virtue of proximity and convenience, groupthink being what it is, could put you in a very seriously vulnerable and compromised situation. So knowing the enemy, can this be played out in an individual, intrapersonal sense, me, what is my worst enemy inside? Sometimes it's my self-critic that makes me feel bad that I have anxiety or I have worry or I have discomfort or I have a bad self-image as a result. So yes, knowing myself and the way I think my patterns, yes, that can be considered being your own worst enemy, if you will, to use the common colloquial, but also interpersonally between people, knowing the people that you interact with. If you're at work and you have regular interactions with folks, you tend to pay attention to certain things. We assume certain people act with certain, within certain patterns or ways of doing, and they become more predictable. And our natural tendency as human is to save energy, be efficient, to become more effective, 
And long-term, the enduring part is saving that energy for whenever you need it most. Whenever high stakes things occurs, I'll have a reserve, so to speak, so I can run the risk of survival and improve my chance of living and thriving in the next moment versus just in the immediate right now where there are no guarantees. So, yes, interpersonally, being able to know what people do. Now, this often ties very closely to what we call the grapevine in organizations, and even by verbiage, we can gain information that may or may not be true. But our most reliable information is perceptual, perceptual, my own perceptions. I can't always trust what people say because the definitions and the interpretations may not be exactly my own, and I may take things incorrectly. I may not have enough information, and if someone is speaking flippantly, there may be some details left out, so therefore I have inaccurate or largely inaccurate information that's not perfectly reliable, and that is not a good survival skill. Now, the next passage was, if you know your enemy and yourself, in a hundred battles, you will not be in peril. In peril. So knowing both is really good. That tells you whenever you can have that yin and yang balance, so to speak, wherever you can push, whenever being pulled, wherever you get pulled, you can push, or for that matter, just flow more effectively, or better yet, not be there, not engage, if you have foreknowledge and potential predictability, which is our natural human capacity to be able to predict into the future based on past patterns. Now, the second statement was, if you have knowledge of yourself, but no knowledge of your enemy in a hundred battles, the chances are equal that one or the other can overcome. Now, once again, if we take this and make this environmental, or maybe even change the word enemy to situational, and we're trying to apply influence, or we're trying to develop success in sales, or to improve capacity, in a skill, but you don't know what you're doing or who you're dealing with, but you know what you want to do, your chances of success go up if you know more about what you're going into, what we would call our environment or our goal, not necessarily the enemy, but even the enemy. The more you know, the better off you are, the more prepared you are. That also means your potential prediction goes up. It doesn't make it perfectly accurate, but it also gives us a better chance of certain assumptions being correct and being more helpful over time. So that is a very important thing. Knowledge of self, at the very least. Knowledge of self and the enemy or the opponent or what it is that we're challenged by is best. But what if I don't know what the challenge is, but I know me? I know that I'm tenacious. I know that I gather information. I know that I like to succeed. I know that I don't quit easily. Those are important things when in face of a challenge or an enemy. And the third statement, in the hundred battles, if you lack knowledge of self, if you lack knowledge of your enemy, in the hundred battles, you're in great peril. That means you're at risk if you just go in haphazardly with no foreknowledge of what's going on and what you're going to do or what you're up against, and no understanding or knowledge of how you're going to respond to things if you've never been in a stressful situation or been in a situation that requires you to think under duress and make good decisions under pressure and do so successfully, your chance for failure is much higher. Now, this does not necessarily mean penultimate failure. This did come from a book on strategy on war, but it wasn't just about killing. It was about the psychology, the interpersonal within me, 
applied in the interpersonal between people, the sociological sense, on the individual and also on the larger macro scale, numbers of people, and even countries, cities, and wars being fought, not necessarily by the drawing of the sword, but rather by the playing of influence, reading people, learning how they think and what their patterns are, what their behaviors and values are. So here's a rhetorical question. So is self-knowledge something that involves knowing what your values are, what's important to you? I would say so. Is self-knowledge something that involves self-control based on foreknowledge? Not getting freaked out because you know what's coming down the pipes early and you can avoid it. Yes. So by gathering information, this is another way of using Sun Tzu's terms, what he used to call spies and espionage. Does that mean you go around spying and creeping around corners and being a creeper? Uh, not really. But it does mean gathering information and by your perceptions, what you take in, being able to trust that information and developing a catalog that you can determine not only as useful, but as regular. And it gives you an idea as to how to make decisions when you see those ear markers of things repeating, pattern behaviors. We as humans, we're creatures of habit in a large sense. But our pattern behaviors aren't perfect. However, they are largely predictable and reliable and under typical circumstances will come up. This isn't even getting into the biological reflexive level of behavior, but rather those things that have to do with the things that we choose, that have to do with our veneer of social interaction, that have to do with how we're accepted into the social scheme or into our groups or whether or not we're rejected. It has to do with how we apply influence and how influence is applied on us by the things that we read and hear and what we believe. And belief has a lot to do with how well we interact with things and uh, also people and what we believe them to be like or who we believe them to be if we've bought into the ruse of their self-image. And we've kind of jokingly talked about the ego and realizing that, well, it's just a figment of our imagination. It doesn't exist. But yet there are people that will defend it tooth and nail as if their ego or their sense or the idea of self is more real than this body, this vehicle that we're driving it within. So the subjective is more real than the objective? That's a good question, isn't it? I would say that it is not. Our objective, we can count and touch. Our subjective, whenever I have thoughts of myself, they're not the equivalent of what my body is in the sense that we have a vehicle, a body, a reflex, heart, lungs, and this sort of thing. But yet, it is so closely tied to our mind and our belief capacity, based on our visual memory or visual recall and our recollections of things that are very visually oriented, unless one is, of course, congenitally blind, um, that our memories are enough to get our body to respond in a post-traumatic stress reactivity level or even a euphoric recall or dysphoric recall is not at the disorder level, but yet is enough for the body to salivate, to have stress reaction, or even to have hormones released that have to do with bonding whenever you remember holding your little baby. Because they're compelling, even though it's not necessarily a tangible, I can put it in a cup and weigh it, real thing. It is real enough in the sense that our body believes it responds as if at a speed that is way faster than what our word maker is, and at the level of brain that is the picture maker, not the word maker, the level of the wordless mind, 
We have a very powerful influence there. So how does that have anything to do with self-control and self-regulation? Much of the things that we respond to, if it starts with verbiage, there's also that sense of belief that goes with it, a belief quality that may be stressful, and one that causes us to react versus respond, depending on how fast it is, and one that causes us to respond to something as if it's real, even though maybe it's not, just like a picture that could be frightening, or just the words that somebody told you, well, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to hurt you, and you respond to it and you run as if. That's compelling. But also your body responds realistically. It's not reliving. It is reacting to something that is so similar to something that was painful in the past that you want to make sure, it wants to make sure, it being your lower level of brain, your your body. One would say that in the Freudian sense, that would be our id, our reactionary survival self, is telling you time to go. So these are some important thoughts to keep in mind. Self-knowledge. How do you respond to things that are stressful? Self-knowledge along the lines of, well, I've had bad experiences, so therefore it's easier for me to navigate my life now by not being around such things. That's strategic. But also psychologically, you know that that would be stressful to you and you prevent yourself from going in those directions. Those are the seeds of self-knowledge. Whenever we have terms like somebody's complaining about somebody triggered me, that is somebody telling you that they are not in control and they lack self-control. You are the person that's experiencing the negative as a result of somebody saying something or somebody doing something, whether it be based on the tone or the behavior of the word spoken. It's up to you as an individual to recognize that and also to realize that you have control of this. And if you have enough time and a little distance and a little foreknowledge, you can work on getting those measures of self-control under control and not have to try to blame or find somebody to blame as a result of your emotional discomfort. This does not make it bad victim. You shouldn't be acting that way. Not saying that. It's a matter of developing skill by self-knowledge, developing that recognition of those things that stress me, developing an understanding that these are not reliving events, but rather recollections that are causing the body to respond because it's so compelling. When we see it this way, it is our body taking care of us, and it is no longer a lack of moral, ethical strength, or even capacity to take care of oneself. If you've already been through it, you've learned something, and there's a lesson within that. And there's also what we call fertilizer for growth, where we have post-traumatic growth that occurs. And there's a lot of study going on with that right now. So it's definitely an encouraging message. But Sun Tzu talked about this, and it wasn't just because it's war that I've mentioned it, but rather in the circumstances of war, things become very honest, very clear, very simple, and easier to apply. And if those things work in situations that it's life or death, then in a regular civilian life, even one where there's stress or danger that occurs intermittently versus as the continuous wholesale battle that goes on day in, day out, then it works in civilian settings as well because it's still interpersonal. It's still personal. It's still human. And it's still communication. But above all, it's development of strategic control of self, 
a self-regulatory skill that helps you become better and frees you up by not becoming so entangled in the social milieu and allowing you to have more freedom in those things that you like. And that's higher quality of life and a higher quantity and also better relationships and less stress generally. So that's it for today. I just want to tell you thank you for sharing some time with me today. And I would like to tell you all, please like, share, and follow. And if you know somebody that could benefit from this podcast, please share it with them. And if you'd like to send me an email and let me know how things are going, please do. Even if it's feedback, something you like, something you don't like, or even if you have a suggestion, send it to runningmangetskillsproject at gmail. And hopefully we'll talk soon. Take care and walk well.